I didn't want to be unemployed because I didn't want a husband to say to me, you see, if we had moved to Akron, this was not going to happen. So I took the first job that appeared in front of me. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community for free, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the risk reduction checklist I created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. Also in the community, you can get a super special podcast listener discount on my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. In the bootcamp, you learn how to value companies like a pro and advance your career in finance. Just go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join our community for free. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guests, Navia Justa. Navia, are you ready to rock? Yes, I am, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to the audience and then maybe you can uh, give us a little bit more about yourself. But let me introduce you. Navia Justa is a journalist, entrepreneur, speaker, mentor, and teacher. She's founder and a leader of Justa Causa. With 30 years of experience as an executive in communication, culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion in leadership positions at companies such as Timex, Natura, GE, Goodyear, and Johnson & Johnson. Navia, take a moment and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Yes, Andrew, you told a lot about me. And besides that, I am a mother. I have two teenagers, girls, teenager girls. One is 18 years old, just recently had her birthday. And the other one will be 16 next September 29. I have been married for 20 years with Eduardo, my husband, my only husband. <laughs> <laughs> and six years ago, I created two social media movements because I was... It took me 45 years to realize that we are not properly represented, we women, in the marketplace, in companies, in, in all kinds of power positions in mm. society. And I created a movement that is named Where Are the Women? I post every day an image with only men, mainly white men, just similar white men, with a hashtag, where are the women? And the other one is a sorority movement because we are 52% of the population here in Brazil and we are everywhere, but we are not visible. So I created the second movement that is here are the women or in proper English, here the women are, where I also post every day an image with a woman, one or two or main, a lot of women leading a successful story. Women that I know or that I do not know. And I've been doing that since 2015, 2016, five years ago. And that made a lot of people get conscious about the representativeness of women in society here in Brazil 
And then I became this kind of, as I name, corporate influencer. <laughs> That's really fascinating. And, you know, it's a good lesson, too, for the listener. You don't have to come up with something super complex. No. Just come up with an idea. And in this case, find a good picture that represents that idea or the opposite of that idea. Yeah. And then be yeah. consistent at communicating that out to the world. Where is the best place for people who are interested in what you're doing to follow you or follow those? The hashtags, LinkedIn, where are the best places to reach you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where the conversations flow and get strong. I'm also at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but the conversation goes on on LinkedIn mostly. And I also created a newsletter that is in English named Diversity and Inclusion. And I, for now, I have almost 200,000 followers around the globe where I write. It's, it's something big. <laughs> I always get shocked when, when I see the numbers. I post an article about diversity and inclusion every 15 days. And the conversation goes on very, very strong there. And last year I created, uh, it's not a podcast, it's a live program. Also on LinkedIn, started on LinkedIn twice a week, every Tuesday and Friday at 4 p.m. Brazil time. Now, uh, since last June, it has been on Facebook and YouTube as well. You can find it as Leader com Navia. It means leader with Navia, but it's only in Portuguese. I had one English interview with Orkut, the founder of the social network, and where I interview leaders, women and men, every Tuesday and Friday, and we talk about purpose, culture, leadership, vulnerability, communications, trust, everything that matters for leaders. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're very busy. Yeah, I, I try to, you know, uh, this this program was kind of a therapy for me during the pandemic because I had to keep my mind focused on something productive instead of paying attention to this tragedy mm-hmm. around the globe. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am a social person. I love people and I loved, I'm a lifelong learner and I love to learn from people. And this was the way I could learn and keep learning from people I admired, people I didn't meet yet, I didn't know. But it, for now, today, exceptionally, because yesterday we had an internet problem here, I had my 108 guests. And they are mainly CEOs, board members, or C-level executives or entrepreneurs. So it has been quite a a long and interesting journey. Amazing. Well, it made me think of a couple of things. The first one is that I grew up with two sisters and my mother, my mother's, you know, very strong. I wouldn't say that she's, she's strong in her mind and what she wanted for me and her kids. And my dad, my parents were married for 59 years. So they had a really great, we had a great, a great life. And when my father passed away, I brought my mother to live with me. So she'll be listening to this podcast. Hi, mom. And I know that your mom is 99 years old. 
That's amazing. My grandmother. Grandma, just like your grandmother. My grandmother, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you're, okay. Yeah. Your grandmother, 99 years old. Amazing. Yeah. So I always kind of grew up with women. I never grew up like with uh, guys. Maybe I see some of my friends that were raised with their brothers and, you know, the, the difference there, pretty significant. And I, I, I guess I was more aware maybe. The second thing that I was going to share was that here in Thailand, one interesting thing is that in the financial industry where I've worked, the ratio of women to men is almost equal. And in fact, really? in leadership, Thailand has tremendous female leaders. I think it's something you may even want to look at and get some of these female leaders, you know, into your community, because just by, you know, for whatever reasons, there's a lots of ideas about why it is, but many companies here are run by women. And I've had many women bosses as I went through my career. And that is very different from other places in Asia or India or China or those places. So it really stands out. Now, one of the things that where women are not represented in Thailand is in politics. And some people say that's because they're really smart and they'd rather run <laughs> the businesses than try to run the politics. <laughs> so yeah, you, here in Brazil, we have a very different scenario. We are underrepresented in politics and in business. Mm. So, and then the last thing is that I used to be the president of CFA society here in Thailand. And again, we had, you know, almost a 50-50 representation in the group, which was fantastic. But CFA Institute out of the US talked about, you know, doing more to get more women into the world of finance. So when I left my post as a president of CFA society here in Thailand, I started a, I have a course called the Valuation Masterclass where I teach people how to do valuation. And basically I created the Women in Valuation Scholarship. And I've now given out more than a million dollars worth of courses to women who want to wow. build up their skills in the area of valuation. How do you value a company? And how do you build that skill so that you can go to any company and say, I know how to do this and I can prove that I know how to do this. And therefore, I thought to myself, a lot of companies and a lot of places are talking about, you know, diversity and inclusion. I thought I can basically, if I went to a city, say Sao Paulo as an example, and I said, let's say take five companies there that said, we do want more women in the finance industry in our company. I can literally go to them and say, let's reach out, let's offer the scholarship, let's get them in and let's get them trained and then let's get them into the jobs. And that was my way of saying, how do we put it into action rather than just talk about it? Yes. Um, and so that's, that's a, a little thing that I've, I've done over the, the years that you just made me think about. So now. It's not little at all. It's big. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. And, there's, <laughs> and thank I, you for that. Yeah. I, uh, I, so maybe someday we can also get it out to your audience to say, if they're interested in learning, you know, it's tough. I do a boot camp. It's really tough. But for those people that want to build skills in valuation, I know how to help them. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Great. So let's, let's go. In 2015, I used to work for Goodyear. And I was the head, the, the director for communications and, and public relations for Latin America. And suddenly Goodyear decided to move the head office 
to Akron, Ohio, the Latin America head office. And I had to not only communicate, lead the communications. It was a tough communication for all the team because not everyone would be invited to move. Some of them would have to be fired and it was, it was a tough moment. But then for my surprise, I was invited to move to Akron, Ohio. And for almost six months, I had to think about that knowing that I didn't want to move to Akron, Ohio. But my husband asked me to think about it because he had the dream to live in the U.S. When I was 17, I lived in England, in Cambridge, as an exchange program student. And so I didn't have that dream. And I had already my girls. And in my mind, we would narrow our universe because we live in Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is the biggest, one of the biggest cities in Latin America, one of the biggest in the world. My girls were born here. And with all my respect, Akron is a very small city. (laughs) I can attest to that, having grown up right outside of Akron. It's not the place you really want to go. Yeah. And it's so cold, so cold. (laughs) And I was quite sure I would not be happy there. I would get social mental health issues. I would be depressed. I would fire. I would kill my husband. So I knew I didn't want to go there. But I tried to convince myself that I would be happy there. But then my boss, he kind of gave up waiting for me and he said, well, you have to choose. And I remember it was June 12th. It was Valentine's Day here in Brazil when I had my meeting with my boss and I told him that I I was not going to, to Akron. I refused the offer. And then I had to come home and say to my husband that I was not going to, we were not moving to the US. And I had a problem, (laughs) a relationship problem for one month. My husband didn't talk to me. And it was so bad that we we had no plans for holidays in July because we didn't know what was going to happen. And then my oldest girl said one day to me, mom, we want to go to our grandmother's house in Fortaleza. It's the northeast part of Brazil where I was born. And I said, but we, we don't have tickets. Uh, we, we didn't plan anything. And then she looked at me and said, you and dad need to talk. And we, we will not be here to, to kind of make it a mess. So we sent them and we had our tough conversation and for quite a moment, it was okay. But then it came the time when I had to leave the company and that was mid-September to October. And that was when I had the worst investment of my life because I didn't want to be unemployed because I didn't want a husband to say to me, you see, if we had moved to Akron, 
this was not going to happen. So I took the first job that appeared in front of me. And I committed all the errors, all the mistakes that a person can, can make. I went to the interview process wanting that to be successful. And I didn't pay attention to all the details that were telling me that it was a mistake. I remember I was interviewed for my boss and he was such a tough man and he was so rude with the HR director that was a woman. And I just thought, no, that's okay. It won't happen to me. And then he, he made some questions, strange questions, but then I, I was so focused on not being unemployed that I didn't pay attention to that. And what happened, I was offered the job. I accepted the job. I exchanged it, as we say here in Brazil, six for six, because the salary was quite the same. And the benefits were lower, but that was okay because I was not going to be unemployed. Mm. And it lasted three months because... It was the most sexist company I ever worked for. There were nine directors, seven were men, and there was me and the other DHR director that was a woman. We had no toilets in the floor where we worked. We worked in a huge room with a U table and there was there was only a men's toilet there and the CEO he used to scream to all of the directors and with the HR director he was like a torturer you know he was like a Hitler he had a mental torture game with her. And that was the most awful thing I saw in my life. And I didn't want to go to that place. And that was October. So I had to be there for Christmas and New Eve. And when I came back after the end year holidays, I was fired for my luck. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Because, you know, he, yeah, he tried to do the same thing with me, the torture, the psychological game with me as he did with the, the HR director. And then I said, listen, you won't do that with me. Nobody does that with me. So if you're, you're going to scream with me, I will leave you screaming alone by yourself because not even my dad had ever screamed at me. So you're not allowed to do that. Mm. So as I faced him and he, he tried all the time to kind of make me feel bad, make, make me feel worse than I was, make me feel less than I was. So I said, no, this is not a place for me. And so 
that was my worst investment ever. What did your husband say when you said, I've been fired? He said, okay, I saw your suffering. <laughs> no problem at all. I think he realized that I did it just because I didn't want. I, I never told in mm. such words to him. But he knew that, and he knew that I was in pain because every he used to work near, very close to the office where I was. So some days we could have a lunch together. And when I told him everything that was happening, he was so shocked that he, I think he wanted me to be fired as well. Yeah. <laughs> so how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this experience? Don't accept any job just because you you have the fear to be unemployed understand the purpose of the company you will work for try to talk to people that have worked there or do still work there and mainly mainly i always say that and i used to say that but i i, I made the mistake by myself look at the leader that you're going to work for, how he or she behaves, how he or she thinks, how he or she treats people. Because you don't ask to be fired for a company, but by the leader that you work for. You want to run out of the company because you have a terrible person that leads you. So, or, or a boss, that, mm. that is a difference between a boss and a leader. Yeah. So I never did that again. That was a great lesson. It was a heartful lesson, but I think I had to go over that to be stronger because it was after that, that I created my social media movements, mm. that I became aware of the situation that we women still suffer in the marketplace. So it was something painful that I don't want anyone to go over, but it made me stronger and it made me more conscious about what I had to do from that moment on. Mm. Maybe I'm going to summarize some things that I took away from your story, and I'm going to come at it from a little bit different angle. You know, I remember talking to my father many years ago and saying, talking to him about JFK assassination. And I was saying, you know, I've been reading these books that, you know, it may not have been Lee Harvey Oswald. It could have been someone else, even within the government. And my dad said, come on, somebody would speak up. Somebody would speak up. Well, later, Different people did speak up, but those voices were kept down. But then I couldn't really argue with that because I do think I grew up in a way where you speak up when something's not right. So I watched a movie, a documentary called The Most Dangerous Man in, in America. And that was what Richard Nixon called Daniel Ellsberg, who leaked the Pentagon Papers back during the Vietnam War era. Now, the Pentagon Papers were written by staff within the Pentagon and other organizations that were related that detailed all of the bad deeds that the U.S. did in Vietnam, all of the lying, deceit, everything that they did that was bad. And basically, Daniel Ellsberg broke that out. He got that and he brought it out to the world. 
And what Daniel Ellsberg said in the movie, somebody asked him, why didn't, you know, why didn't someone speak up? He says, look, 1,000 men mainly knew the contents of that document and not one of them spoke up. Yeah. And so I came, you know, I was taught by my parents, you never let someone mistreat you. You stand up for yourself. And so I always thought that people would stand up, you know, and even during this time that we're through this pandemic where, you know, there's questionable things happening by media, by, by some doctors, by different, you know, this questionable, and people are terrified to stand up because nowadays when you stand up, you can be completely ruined by this social, social media or media mob that can come after you. So the consequences are even higher. So I was brought up in an era where I, or let's say in a way to stand up for yourself and stand up for what's right. And I encourage the listeners out there to take, you know, take strength from Navia's story to stand up for yourself and stand up for what's right. But I also now know that it's getting harder and harder to do that. Governments, in particular the US government, tries to encourage companies to have whistleblower policies, but when the government whistleblowers come out, they try to destroy them. And yeah. it's just, it's so much more complicated right now. But I think my biggest takeaway is that most people don't stand up because of the cost to themselves and their family or whatever. And I just want to say that your story is inspiring for both men and women out there. If you're in a situation where you're being mistreated, you're not being valued for who you are and what you are, take this as a motivation to think about how do I begin the process of standing up for myself? And you don't have to confront someone. You may decide I'm gonna walk away. You may decide to confront them. You may decide to do whatever you're gonna do but use this as some energy to, to stand up for who you are and what you stand for. And there's a lots of jerks out there. And it's not even, sometimes it could be sexism. Sometimes it could be racism. Sometimes it just be a lot of idiots out there saying stupid things to other people that, you know, you may attribute it to something, but truthfully, it's just a bad person. So yeah. that's kind of my takeaway. Anything you would add to that? No, that that's it. That's it. And I think that even when I say try to talk to people inside the organization, they are not the best people to tell you the true story. Talk to people outside of the organization, people that decided to leave or they were fired because they will tell you the true story. Because when you're inside a company, maybe you have to tell the company's employer branding. And that is not the real story. And if you want to, if you learn to stand back up for yourself, you get stronger and you know what is, that you don't negotiate. It's a a self-consciousness process. You have to understand what is value for you and what is unnegotiable. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? When you look for a job, as I said, pay attention to the people that are working for that company because companies are made by people and those people are the ones that build the culture. And if it's a healthy culture, 
it's made by healthy people, people that respect people, people that loves people, and people that want to collaborate and to work and to serve for people. Mm, great advice. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I have been I have been having this number one goal for the last five years, Andrew, is that I want to connect and to help develop leaders, true leaders that love people and that want to assume their responsibility to change the reality, to make our society and our world more fair more equal and more sustainable. So this is my goal for the coming years. It has been my goal for the last five years. And I'm continuing doing that because I want to leave the world a better place for my girls. I want they I, I know they deserve it and we can do it. If mm -hmm. as as you said, if any one of us do what is possible, what is available for us, we can change the world because change starts within us. It's not the other way. Lots of great wisdom there. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at my worst investment ever. And when you join, you get that special discount to my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. Maybe as we conclude, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I just want to say thank you for the opportunity of, of being here with you, of learning about you and your wonderful work and i also want to invite you to be my guest at leader with navia so we're gonna talk mm. because i have it sold out for this 2012 21 but uh, you're gonna be my guest my okay. first guest for 2022 and i want to ask the audience if you want to follow me just uh, sign up for my newsletter on linkedin diversity and inclusion you're going to have a lot of great free content there. Fantastic. And we'll have all the links in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. So just click on them and go there. I know I'll be there. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen, on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth and our health. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.